0: Uh, My name is Pastor Russ. Merry Christmas to you. Uh, We are honored and humbled that you've taken some time to open up your Bible and look at the Christmas story briefly with us this morning. Uh, As of last night, uh, in the calendar year of 2022, we have now had over 500 first-time guests that have come to Four Points Church. As of last night, we had more people in the first Christmas service of the weekend than we had in both last year. We not celebrate that. Um, It has been a banner year in the sense that God has been gracious to us to allow us to impact our community and be His hands and feet by the Spirit in a way that has made a significant difference. And I continue to want to say as much as I can thank you to uh, all of you who serve, who have uh, attended and engaged and run with us after Jesus to see what He would do with our lives over this year. Uh, This is the last service of 2022 that we're going to have and so I've got a little nostalgia going right now and uh, it's just fun to reflect back on where God had my family a year ago and how far and how much he has done in this year and so as I was praying through and thinking about uh, the right tone to set for this Christmas message uh, I got into the book of Isaiah it's one of the larger books in our Old Testament and I would invite you to flip there with me to Isaiah chapter 9. And uh, I want to read to you verse 1, and I think it sets the tone for this sermon that I want to preach to you today. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, it says this, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. Uh, What you need to know about our God, what you need to know about his active work in this world. Is that there are going to be times where the night is dark and long and it doesn't rise with the new sun as quick as we hope it would. That there are going to be times where where difficulty endures and goes farther than we thought it would go. But he has time-stamped all darkness and all evil with his cross and with his resurrection. And this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9 reminds us that though it may be a dark time in their history, God's not going to allow it to last forever. And so for some of you in this Christmas moment, let me just remind you, it may be dark, but it will not be forever. Nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled. What is that about? Uh, The people of God in the book of Isaiah, 700 years in advance of the birth of Christ, have become indifferent and apathetic towards God. They become indifferent in the sense that they know God, but they care nothing about his character, they care nothing about his story, they care nothing about his way. They become apathetic because when confronted with the fact that they are not passionate about pursuing God and surrendering their lives to God, they in turn have no desire to actually repent and turn towards God. As a result, uh, through the prophet Isaiah... God tells them that he's going to lead them away into captivity. uh, captivity. First, the Assyrians will come in, and they will try and attack, but they will not be successful. And then there's going to be a deal that's going to be struck with Babylon, and later they will be successful in taking off all of Israel into captivity away from the land that God had promised as a result of their apathy and indifference to God. And so we have this bleak reality, this hard moment with a hard conversation where God comes and says, it's about to not be good. But, in every page of the scripture, when God confronts us with the bleakness and darkness of our realities, he always reminds us of the great hope that he will continue to bring in spite of our inability to keep up our end of the covenant deal. Like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, eat of the fruit of the tree that they're not supposed to eat of. They leave Eden, they now have a sin-ridden world that they will live in. Uh, They're going to have sons that will murder each other. And within a few chapters, we're going to have the entire world being flooded after they try to build a tower to the heavens to uh, shake their fist at God and put their hands on Him. And so things get bad quick but if you turn the page in Genesis chapter 3 what you read is that there is someone who is coming and he is going to crush the serpent's head so there's a reality that's bleak but there's a hope that's true and what I want you to hear is the people in Isaiah's time had a reality that was bleak but they had a hope that was going to be true they were invading armies that were going to come and they were going to be arrogant and prideful just as the people of Israel had been and indifferent towards God And God was not going to allow their arrogance to allow his people to be in captivity forever. Instead, he will humble them. Their time will be in the future when Galilee and the Gentiles, which lies along the road, runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. So there's a coming hope that's going to bring hope to not just the people of Jerusalem, but the Gentiles are going to be brought into this story. They're going to be brought in to the good news of what what God is doing on earth. And so... The reality is tough, the hope is real. Then verse 2, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Now these words in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 are part of Handel's Messiah. They're quoted in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 4 verse 16 and in John chapter 1 verses 9 to 10, they elaborate on the idea of it. You see, there's many beautiful truths that Jesus uh, about Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas, but perhaps the foundational truth that we need to be reminded of today is found in this text that's written 700 years before his birth, and that is this, the world is dark, but Jesus is the light. The world is dark. This world, when you see the word darkness in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, it's used to describe evil. Uh, And so we need to understand that this world is not just mainly good, and it's not just uh, mainly okay. We're not a few technological advances away from everything getting better. We're not uh, a little bit more effort and goodwill and charity towards our neighbor away from the world being fixed. No, the Bible lays it out in reality. The world is in darkness. There's a land that is deep in darkness, and people are walking around in it. And that word refers to the evil in that they are aware of God's character in this world they are aware of God's power in this world they're aware of God's story in this world and his purpose but They seek to actually impede or counter God's movement on earth, which by definition is evil. So I know God wants to do this, but I actually want to work against God. I know God's desire is that I would surrender my life to God, but I actually want to keep my life so that I can make it an idol for myself, so I can build an altar to myself. Instead of my body being a means to worship God, and my mind a way to honor God, and my speech a way to give glory to God, I instead want to use my mind to build my kingdom and my body in a way that pleases me and my words to honor myself and boast in my own glory instead of giving any glory to God and that at its root and core is evil and it's the same old story of humanity that's been played out for hundreds and thousands of years now so the word darkness refers to evil but it also refers to another group and that's ignorance ignorance is people who are ignorant to the character of God or the power of God or the story of God or his purpose on earth, and so for some of you today, uh, you are walking in a darkness in the sense that you know of the good news of the gospel, you know of who Jesus is, yet you've not allowed it to be accounted to your current season of life, so you call it darker than it actually is, you act as if there is no hope for you, that there's no reason for expectation for the intervention of God within you, and so as a result, you stumble around in the darkness, even though you know of this hope that you've not transferred into your situation. Or you walk around in ignorance. You do not know of God's power or his story, therefore you wander around aimlessly trying to live out your own story. Now, for all of us, I think we can in some ways relate to the darkness of the world being problematic. Many of us likely agree that we, our family, our work, and our world need a little bit of work. But how we go about doing that work in lies the problem. You see, the problem is the world is dark and it's hard to get anything done when you can't see. And so in order for you to get some progress, you likely are going to have to turn on the light. So in your marriage, if you're trying to fix it in the dark, it's going to be really rough. And your family, if you're trying to fix it in the dark, it's going to be rough. At work, if you're trying to fix it in the dark, it's going to be rough. If you're trying to fix your neighborhood in the dark, it's going to be rough. It helps to be able to see what you're doing as you're doing it, if you're going to make any kind of difference at all. The people of God in the book of Isaiah are trying to fix their earthly problems with earthly solutions. But the problem is, their problems are not earthly-sized. They have God-sized problems, and they need God-sized solutions. The point I'm trying to make to you is that they are trying to fix God-sized problems with human-sized resources, and and the light is not even flickering in spite of their good intentions and effort. How do we know this? If you go back to Isaiah chapter 8, it says this about the people in this time. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19. Uh, Someone may say to you, let's ask mediums. Okay, it's dark. Our life's not going the way that we hoped it would go. Let's ask mediums and those that consult spirits of the dead. With their whisperings and mutterings, they will tell us what to do. What are they doing? Instead of looking up, they've looked down. And as they look down, there's no light that comes from the ground. So with their whisperings and mutterings, they will tell us what to do. But shouldn't the people ask God for guidance? Should the living seek guidance from the dead? God is not dead. God is alive. God is not inactive. God is engaged. Just a few chapters prior, Isaiah is standing in the temple on a normal day, doing his normal routine like he normally would do, but it was not a normal day. Instead, he saw the throne of God in the temple and the train of his robe filling it. And in that moment, he recognized that though he thought the gap between he and God was great, he had way underestimated how righteous and holy God was and how unrighteous and unholy he was. So his cry is not, I just need a little bit more improvement. I just need a little bit more time let me just work a little bit harder at applying your law at applying your rules and I'll get there God no his his cry is woe is me what what does an unrighteous person like me belong in the presence of a holy and righteous God like you so what does God do he brings fire not to harm him but to purify him and he presses it to his lips you see sometimes God confronts you with reality your darkness is darker than you think it is Your life is not a few short changes away from a turnaround. You're actually on a one-way road that's heading to a destination that you and I do not want the end road of in our lives. There needs to be an intervention, and it's not a slight turn. It's a drastic 180 that you need that turns you around from the direction that you're heading in in your life. And so they are looking for guidance from anywhere but God. They're seeking it even from the dead and not looking to the living God. So they look to God's instructions and teachings, people, who contradict his words, are completely in, here's the word, the dark. Look at verse 21, it goes on and says this. They will go from, play, from one place to another, weary and hungry. So they'll try harder, they'll work harder. They'll come up with different plans. They'll make New Year's resolutions. They'll figure out how they're going to cut 15 pounds, and nothing changes. Because the identity of what they look like in the mirror may be slender, but it's still broken. And this is where a lot of us are. We're thinking, if we can just work a little bit harder, if we can just change, get a technological advance, if we can just add a little bit something else, if we can just win the lottery, if we can just get a raise, if we can just buy a house, if we can just get the relationship, if we can just get whatever it is that we think, in addition to us, will get us over the top, we'll get there. But what we end up with is a wandering from place to place. You can't stay steadfast in any way. That's a sign that you're wandering in the dark. If every three years you're changing up everything in your life, you're in darkness. It's dark, and there's a big problem that's probably going on where you need someone to turn the light on so that you can see clearly. They will go from one place to another, weary and hungry. And because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven after it doesn't work, after they denied him his rightful place in their life, after they've treated him as a sidekick instead of a king. They then look to the heavens and shake their fist. Have you and I ever been guilty of this? Have you ever been angry at God because you exerted your will for your way instead of surrendering to his way, and then you got to the destination of what you were wanting, and it didn't come through and it didn't deliver, so you then in anger turn to God and blame him for what you don't have in your life? And down at the earth, but wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown out into outer Darkness. Merry Christmas. Uh, the first president of the Czech Republic, Václav Havel, said this, "...the pursuit of the good life will not help humanity save itself. Nor is democracy alone enough." He said, "Turning "...a turning to and seeking of God is needed." The human race constantly forgets, he added, that he is not God. Many of you are in the dark because you think you can be God. You think that you on the throne is a good idea. You in the driver's seat, Jesus as the co-pilot. That is the most asinine, stupid thing I've ever heard. You are not a good driver. You are not a good lord. You are not a good king. You do not know everything that will happen, and you cannot hold everything together that is happening and bring good out of it. What makes you think that you're the great choice that somehow can illuminate the darkness with a light that you've yet to find? Now, the older folk in the room, they've learned this. You get older, and you at first think, I, within and of myself, am good enough. I can make this happen. I've got dreams, I've got aspirations. Then you get humbled. You see, God's first plan for your life is that you would humble yourself under his hand and he would be your Lord and your leader. But when you choose not to go with his plan, you get the second part of that plan that comes into our life as a grace. You know what it's called? Humiliation. So you think, I'll get away with it. Or maybe you think, I have gotten away with it. And you earn great and build big kingdoms. And then you find yourself empty within your soul as you sit behind the gates and the walls that you've built to separate you from the community that you need. And then you cry out to God, what's wrong? Why is this broke? Why won't it work? Why am I not satisfied? Why can't I have any peace? And the answer is, you're still wandering around in the darkness with a lot more stuff to trip over. And in that moment, you're confronted with the reality that perhaps everything you have lived for, everything you have given your life to, is actually not actually going to help you. It can't satisfy you. So look at the text. In Isaiah 9, 2, he says, you walk in darkness. You live in a land of deep darkness, but he parallels it with a light that's going to dawn, with a hope that's going to come, a solution that we all need. That's why there's so much uh, hope in this text. The solution is not cheer up, uh, the world is dark, cheer up, the world is dark, work harder, the world is dark, just advance technology, the world is dark, just work harder as scientists and make more medical discoveries. The, the, The solution is those who live in deep darkness will see a light. And that's the Christmas message. The world is dark and we are powerless to heal and save, the, and save the world ourselves. But the good news is that God's light is coming. If you fast forward to the New Testament 700 years later in John chapter 8, as Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross, he said this. He spoke to the people once more and said, I am the lights of the world. You didn't turn the lights on in your world. The light came into your world. Illuminated what you couldn't see. Uh, brought what you couldn't give yourself or have the power to turn on yourself. I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. You see, the promise is a will in Isaiah, and they waited for it. Someday he will bring his Messiah. Someday he will bring a king who will establish his throne. Someday he will come, and he will change the world But it becomes a reality in the Gospel of John. And then, if you flip over to the book of Revelation, it becomes fully realized. So it's a will and a wait in Isaiah. It's a reality in the Gospel of John, and it's fully realized in Revelation. And you and I stand between the resurrected Savior and his second coming. Having the light, but still living in a land of darkness. And now having that light, he says something peculiar to you and me, fallible, weak human beings. You know what he says? You are in me the light of the world. You now illuminate the darkness. You point to a hope that is greater than uh, something that can be earned by self-effort. So what we have now as we walk in the reality, as we wait on it to be realized at the second coming of Christ, when he will inaugurate the kingdom of God. Now what's interesting is this promise stands in verse 2. The people walk in darkness, they'll see a great light. They live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. But how does he go about doing this? One well, of the most God-like ways that you could go about doing it. Look at verse 6 with me. For a child is born to us. How many of you have larger than child-sized problems in your life? How many of you don't believe, okay, our world's broken, that baby is the one that's going to fix it? I mean, unfortunately, some of you have thought that'll fix my marriage. But but let's move beyond that, right? Uh, God's solution is that He's going to bring a baby. Now, in this world, if you want to flex your muscle and your might, if you want to demonstrate your country's power and prowess, you march the tanks and the bombers and the planes, and the soldiers through the street as a warning to any other nation out there that if they mess with you, they mess with the entire army and power and force that you carry and you have. You see, you don't lead with a baby, you lead with an army in this world if you want to change it. At least that's the way the world has always worked. If you want to be great in this world, you flex physical strength and military might. You lead with tanks and muscles, but you don't lead with a baby. But that's God's plan. A baby is going to come. And on the night he comes, the world will not see him or think that it has been changed. But nonetheless, everything will have been changed in that night. And look at what he goes on to say about this baby. A child is born to us, a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders. All of its dysfunction, all of its failed leaders... All of its inability to fix what's wrong with society will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. How many of you have needed wise counsel and you thought, let's go to the baby? This is how God's kingdom works. This is how God's way works. He takes the foolish things of the world, and he uses them to confound the wise things of the world. At 12 years of age, Mary and Joseph forgot Jesus. How many of you have had a major parent fail this year? Let me encourage you, let me encourage you, you've yet to lose the son of God. (laughs) They go to look for him after several days of him being lost. They finally, the last place they think a 12-year-old would be, they probably thought he was in the ancient arcade uh, (laughs) doing something other than being in the temple of God, but they find him in the temple and what is he doing? He's teaching the teachers. Even at 12 years of age, as the incarnate son of God, he was wise in giving wise counsel and opening up their minds to scriptures that they had read their entire life. He's the wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. He's the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestors, David, for all eternity. What what am I getting at? The... Government rests on the shoulders of a child. This is the beauty of the gospel message. Right now, in this world, in various ways, whether it's you or nations, we all are fighting for our own throne. Uh, We've all fallen into the guise of this at different points of our lives, wanting control, thinking that it's best suited in our hands. And as you fight for your kingdom and who's king, you get these battles and wars that rise up. And in pride, you take from others and you oppress others so that you can build your kingdom. But then God shows up on the scene. John, his cousin, announces that the kingdom of God is at hand and that the call is not do more, work harder, run in fear, but repent and come home. And in that call and in that invitation, in the Psalms, it points to what happens when Jesus comes in his inauguration. Psalm chapter 46, verse 8 says this, Behold, the Lord, or come and see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. Everyone can fight until the greatest one walks in the room. Like, we can all argue about who's better until the great one actually walks in, and then there's no more discussion. What happens when the great one comes? Look, he causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and snaps the spear. There's no more fighting. No more building kingdoms on blood. The kingdom of God is established by the blood of the Savior. And it's the end of us being able to build a kingdom that in our minds will somehow outlive and outlast us and thinking that it'll be great. He breaks the bow and, sna- and snaps the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every na- nation. I will be honored throughout the earth. Consider the beauty of this. Consider the beauty of this. What we have in the Christmas message is a bleak reality with a significant hope. It's bleak in the sense that in apathy and indifference, the people of God were being led into a difficult future because of their sin and their choice. But it would not be that way forever. God would come. God would pay for their rebellion. God would make a way out of their darkness. He would be the light that would illuminate the world and bring hope. My kids and I, over uh, Christmas break, have taken up nightly games of hide-and-go-seek in the dark. It's been really fun. And so uh, the other night, we, I think it was about three or four days ago, uh, Macy was like, Why don't we play hide and go seek? And I was like, Absolutely. So we turned as many of the lights off that they would let me, and we began to play. And my favorite thing to do in hide and go seek is I go and hide by myself, wait on one of my kids to open up the door that I'm behind, and I'm strategically positioned to give them the most terror of their life. The goal is that they would scream and shriek because they couldn't see me coming in the darkness. Now, I know some of you are psychologists and you're in the room and you're like, you're really like messing your kids up for life. I didn't ask you. I didn't pay for that advice. Keep it to yourself. Um, But my youngest, Nora, is not a fan of the dark. And so anytime we play the game, she ruins my hiding spot because she can't be quiet and she can't like, even though she's small, she's she's tough to stow away in the cabinets when I'm like hiding. Like, she always wants to be beside me. And so the other night, I was reasoning with her. I was like, Nora, just, just go over there. Just go to the other side of the room, and I'll be in the room with you. I'll be close. And if you need me, you can just say, Dad. And I'll be like, I'm at your And we'll be all right. She's like, no, I'm hiding with you. I'm like, but, but babe, you ruin it for me. Like, if they find, you don't understand. The goal of the game is that you're not found for at least a period of time to, until mom's at least slightly concerned that we've really lost someone that the rapture's happened and it's passed her by. And we can't do that if we're together. You've you got to go somewhere else. And she's like, no, Dad, I want to be right beside you. My point is this. At Christmas, we celebrate the fact that God didn't see us in our darkness and in our need and say, hey, I'll stand near you. Uh, I'll let you hear my voice whenever you're afraid in the darkness. No, he, he came and he stood beside us as one of us. He walked With us, You see, in the dark, my kids don't want my voice from afar. They want my presence. And this is the Christmas message. God stepped into the darkness and brought his light so that we could be near to him. The text ends in verse 7 with one of my favorite statements because it gives me hope for whatever darkness I'm in today. It says this, The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. It's going to be tough. Life may not be good, it may not get better, it may get darker, but there is a hope that transcends the moment. The darkness will not last forever. And the reason we have hope in it is God is passionate about the darkness being extinguished on earth. And you and I have a long lesson in the Old Testament of God promising that it wouldn't last and Him coming through with the Messiah that came at last. He lived in our place. He died in our place as a substitute for our sin. And his desire was that we would receive grace and mercy, that we would become enlightened in his truth and his gospel and his hope. And as a result of it, we would live in that light, carrying a hope in a dark world. Look, I don't know what your current life looks like. I don't know where your mind goes to when you think about the future. But I do know there is a light that gives us reason for hope. Our prayer team's gonna come forward and we wanna give you an opportunity in this Christmas season to receive the light of Christ into your life. Uh, the idea of this is that Jesus laid down his life as a free gift, but it is to be received by grace through faith. Grace in that you can't earn it, faith in that it must be received. Romans chapter nine goes so far as to say this, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ Jesus was raised from the dead, then he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. So are you in the darkness of your own sin? Are you in the darkness of you thinking that your own self-will can deliver you from it? May we invite you this Christmas season to the God that is the light, the light we need, the salvation we've looked for in hundreds of places but cannot receive apart from the name that is Jesus. If you need to give your life to him as we sing this song, let's stand together. And then after singing and responding, we'll light the candles up. We'll celebrate Christmas as he is our Noel who is with us in the midst of our life. In Jesus' name. Let's stand, let's sing.